You can turn to Daniel. It'll be in chapter 4, um, verses 19 to 27 today. It's also printed in your worship guide. So, I don't know if you are aware of this. The third uh, Republican debate happened earlier this week. And it was about what I expected, you know. Uh, the people are a little bit different, but a lot of talking over each other, a lot of uh, condemning one another, a lot of avoiding answering questions, and uh, people making big statements about how they can fix the problem, whatever the problem is, right? So I've also been watching through the political drama, The West Wing. You got some illustrations from that earlier this summer when I started it. Well, I'm in the last season now, and um, so I got tired of the debate, watched a little bit of it, and then... It's like, I'll watch something else. So I put West Wing on, and in that seventh season, there's an episode that the whole episode is a presidential debate. (laughs) And it was that episode. Um, And what's crazy is that besides the fact that I sat through it and watched it after turning off the real debate, um, is that in the 18 years since that aired, not much has really changed. They're still talking over each other. They're still condemning one another. Uh, They're still avoiding questions. They're still making big statements about how only they can fix the problems. And even like probably more than half of the issues are still the same ones. Isn't it weird that uh, four guys have been president since that aired who have all said those same things to reach the peak of the mountain and yet here we are on repeat Maybe that should give us a hint on how powerful they really are. We get the opposite of that today as we continue on in Daniel. Instead of people arguing and talking over each other, we come on the heels of some of the wise men saying, I won't even offer an interpretation. And Daniel coming in, refusing to play politics as he interprets the king's dream. So let's hear God's word together from Daniel. Chapter 4, verses 19 to 27. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heaven, reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, you who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, 
and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing on in our series in the book of Daniel this morning. Two weeks ago, we began this, this story, this chapter, where Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, he's sharing his testimony of the signs and wonders that God has done for him. And we saw that God is real, that he intervenes, that he shakes Nebuchadnezzar awake through this dream, and that the wisdom of the world fails him. None of his wise men can interpret it. So he calls in Daniel, whom he is confident can interpret the dream, because he says he knows that the spirit of the gods is within you. And he's interpreted a dream before, back in chapter 2 that we saw earlier. So last time, the first part of the chapter chapter focused on Nebuchadnezzar and how he's approaching understanding. So now there's this shift that happens here. It goes from first person, from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, to third person, where there's a narrator. And Nebuchadnezzar's name isn't used at all here. It only says king a bunch of times, if you were listening. King, king, king. Which is really begging the question, who's really the king? It's the question that's there. And we'll see it in the language too. Is it the one growing up to reach up to heaven but will be chopped down or who the one who resides in heaven who reaches down? That's what's being put before us here. It's not much of a competition as we read on. So the big idea we're going to unpack this morning is that because the most high God reigns from heaven in righteousness and mercy, we should humble ourselves under his reign. We're going to see this, especially through the way Daniel acts and speaks. He's the main character here. Most of our thing is just him talking. So we're going to see it through the way he acts and speaks as we see Daniel's hesitation, then Daniel's honesty, and finally Daniel's hope. So first, because the Most High God in heaven rules in righteousness and mercy, we should humble ourselves under his reign. This is first in Daniel's hesitation. Look with me at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. So Daniel, his name means, my God is judge. Um, He'd been renamed when he came, when he was taken in exile to Babylon, and given the name Belteshazzar, which kind of means uh, Baal protect the king. Right? So Uh, That name's used three times there in this one verse. He's not excited to share this interpretation, and it kicks off this irony just in the name play that's going on here. The truth of his Hebrew name shines throughout this passage while the impotence of the Babylonian god to protect the king is mocked. And Daniel's dismayed and alarmed. Back at the beginning of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar's the one who's alarmed. He's alarmed at the dream that he has. But here, Daniel is alarmed by his thoughts. He knows what the dream is about. And he has the privilege of delivering the news. 
So you can imagine the scene. They're not like sitting in some office, slouched about, talking about a dream, right? Like we might do with ours. But Daniel's been brought to the palace. There's a good chance that this palace is the one in Babylon that has the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You can imagine just this aura of wealth and power that's emanating as you're being brought before this man. One where beauty and majesty is juxtaposed against the sheer brutality of this king who's continually threatening to dismember people, to rip them limb from limb, who just threw his friends into a fire, who tore him away from his nation in exile. So you have these right next to each other as Daniel's brought in before him. And the king sees the alarm in his face, says there, Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you, to which Daniel replies, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So is Daniel just afraid of the king? Is he just afraid of what's going to happen here to him? That's the question. That might be our inclination. That'd probably be my inclination, right? Is that what his dismay and alarm is all about? Is he just trying to mitigate the king's response to him by saying, no, let this be for your enemies? I don't think so. Reading the book of Daniel, we don't see Daniel afraid like that. It's clear that he trusts in the Lord. He's already been threatened to be killed earlier. He said, I'll tell you what your dream said. Then he tells the truth. Right? So what's happening here? I think Daniel hesitates because he actually cares for the king. He actually does want this dream to be for the king's enemies and not for him. He's not just paying lip service. He genuinely wants what is best for the king. He wants him to prosper. It's crazy. You see that at the end of the, at the, end of the passage here that you might prosper longer. How could that be? How could he care for and want the best for the one who conquered his country, who dragged him away in exile, who has tried to strip him of his identity, who's probably castrated him? Is this just Stockholm Syndrome? No. Daniel who's this slave, elevated as he is in the kingdom, and yet a slave. He can have a soft and merciful heart toward this callous king because he knows he has been shown mercy. He knows who is really in control. He knows that God has put him right there where he is, and he doesn't begrudge God for it. He's not filled with bitterness, with worry, with anxiety. He can genuinely love and serve his captor because he knows that his God actually reigns. If you're a Republican, how much might you want to deliver some bad news to Joe Biden? Say this impeachment goes as poorly as it can for Democrats or as well as it could for Republicans. Would you rejoice in that? about if you're a Democrat, how excited would you be if Trump was convicted, jailed, and barred from the ballot 
for him to finally get what he deserves, right? You see how different both of those are from how Daniel responds? Daniel, he hesitates. He has worse news than those to deliver, but he doesn't glory in it. He doesn't even want to deliver it because he knows God is in control, even as he's in exile. If we're giddy about the downfall of others, even our enemies, we're not loving them. And isn't that what we're called to? Isn't that what God has done for us? That's what Paul tells us in Romans 5, that God showed his love to us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were enemies, he reconciled us to God by the death of his son. And if we truly understand that, if we grasp in our hearts the mercy of God toward us in Christ, how can we not be merciful to others? Then it makes sense how Jesus can say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you can be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. So you can be like your Father in heaven. And it doesn't just change the way we look at kings or presidents or even bosses, right? But it changes the way we look at our colleagues, too, at our neighbors, at our classmates, at our siblings. And we don't write them off. We don't compare ourselves to them or compete with them or against them. That when we see choices that they've made, bad choices, we don't look forward to the hammer falling. That we don't think you've made your bed, now lie in it. But we want success for them. We want mercy for them. We don't look down on them because we know we're not any better. We just know God's grace to us. And it plays out in the way we share the gospel too. If we don't have a soft heart toward others, we're not faithfully sharing the good news of Jesus. We can proclaim true things all we want, but if we don't actually love the people we're telling the truth to, then we're just making noise. And if we don't love others, it shows that really we don't understand how God loves us. Because the Most High God in heaven rules in righteousness and mercy, we should humble ourselves under his reign, as we see Daniel do in his hesitation. But it doesn't stop with hesitation. It's followed by Daniel's honesty. This is what we see in the interpretation of the dream. He doesn't really want to give it, but he does. And he's honest, even though the king probably doesn't want to hear it. The first part isn't so bad, right? The tree that you saw, it's grown, it's huge, it's strong. That's you. You've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, your dominion to the ends of the earth. So far, so good. Right? Covers that one pretty quick. Just a couple verses there. But then there's the turn. He recounts the watcher, the angel coming down 
from heaven and commanding the tree to be chopped down and destroyed, but leaving the stump bound and the portion being with the beasts of the field for seven periods of time. And then we get the interpretation in verse 24, starting in verse 24. It's a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So we see in this interpretation that it's not merely the word of an angel, but it's a decree from God himself, from the Most High. It's not good news for the king, at least in the short term. You're king now, but you'll be run out of town. You'll be living like an animal, out in the open, eating the grass like an ox. Everything you take pride in, everything you have built up will be taken away from you. It's all going away. But as bad as it could be, but as bad as it is, it could be worse. It says your roots and your stump are still there. They're bound, but they're still there. That your kingdom will be confirmed. But it'll take seven periods of time. The periods probably aren't years. The word's been used twice previously in the book. It doesn't mean years. The use of seven refers to completion. It's kind of what that number means. So the complete amount of time necessary to bring about the intended effect. We'll see that it's long enough for his hair to grow as long as eagle's feathers and his fingernails to be like bird's claws, but we don't know how long it really is. But however long it takes for it to be complete, that's kind of the idea. But what's the point? Why is any of it happening? What will happen at the end of the seven periods of time? See at the end of verse 25, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Or at the end of verse 26, from the time that you know that heaven rules. Daniel's hesitant to interpret this dream because he didn't want to give him bad news. But once he does, he's completely honest about the dream. You are a powerful king, but you're not actually in charge. You're only king because it's been given to you. Not because of what you've done, but because God has put you there. It's like a kid who's put together a toy they got for Christmas. Sure, they built it, they put it together, they did some work, and if they didn't, it wouldn't be put together, right? But the parents gave it to them. And they can take it away just as easily if it's being misused. Right? It's a picture like that. Do you recognize this in your own life? That you're not the king or queen of your own life. That despite what Burger King commercials tell you, you don't rule. You're not in charge. Sure, you have responsibility. You should work hard and you should use the gifts God has given you. But do you recognize that he is the one who has given them to you? He can take them away just like that. 
that you're not actually in control. And most of your life has been brought about by circumstances that he has put in place that had nothing to do with you. The family that you're born into had nothing to do with you. Your mental capacities had nothing to do with you. The neighbors, coworkers, and classmates he's put around you. You didn't put that together. He did. Yet these are the things that influence our lives and what we become so much. We control far less than we imagine. Do you recognize that? Do you know that God in heaven reigns? And because he does, you can't. And you don't have to. He just asks us to be faithful where he has us, with what he's given us. Do you know that he is the true king? And he is merciful and righteous. Each of us has to actually grapple with that question ourselves. No one else can do it for you. Such a joy to see Sophie baptized here today. She's going to have to grapple with that question herself. If you haven't ever really thought about who God is and how he relates to us, please don't keep pushing that away. Enter into that. Take a pause from the streaming and the phone. Deal with it. Wrestle with it. To paraphrase A.W. Tozer, what you think of God is one of the most important things about you. It'll affect everything in your life. First, we have to deal with whether you know God is king and will humble yourself under his reign. And second, if you do know it, are you willing to be honest about it with others? Right? We have to deal with it from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective first before we look at it from Daniel's. If so, are you willing to enter into conversations with others to be honest about this truth? Again, Daniel's not a jerk about it. He doesn't force it on people who said, please stop, I don't want to hear it. He's actually invited in, right? But he's honest. It's easy to hide away and privatize our religion. To act like we're just like everyone else in control of our own lives day to day. It might start with just telling the truth in conversation that Jesus is your king. It's a small baby step. That you actually follow him. And I think when we're not ashamed and don't hide it away, then it comes up more. It gets easier. Often get invited in. When it's just who we are, it can't be avoided completely as we talk with others, as we have opportunities to be honest with others about it more and more. If he is your king, if he has saved you from your sin and death and given you life, and if we love other people, 
Wouldn't we want to be honest with them about something this good? Because the Most High God in heaven rules in righteousness and mercy, we should humble ourselves under his reign. As we've seen in Daniel's hesitation and in Daniel's honesty, finally we see it in Daniel's hope. He doesn't leave it with the interpretation. He doesn't just let it stand. That's where it is. He offers counsel. We see this in verse 27. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. As we talked about before, if Daniel had no concern for the king, he would welcome the results of this dream. But he wants what's best for him. He asks for a lengthening of his prosperity. And he knows the God who has decreed this. He knows the character of this God. It's the God who revealed himself when Moses wanted to see him. He said, you can't see my face, but you can see where my back has been. In Exodus 34. And how does God reveal himself? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Mercy and righteousness. That's why that's what Daniel calls him to. Away from his sin to righteousness and mercy. And he believes God will forgive him, that God will lengthen his prosperity because God can't help but be merciful and just because that's who he is. We see this in Jonah too. They don't even give him the good news. It's just 30 days and you'll be destroyed, right? (laughs) And they repent and God spares them. what we saw in our assurance of pardon today, right? That's from Chronicles. It's over and over in the Old Testament that though you sin, you face the consequences and the effects of that. If you will return to me, I will forgive you and heal you over and over and over. That's what we see. And even this dream itself is actually a mercy. That God doesn't just swipe in and do it. But he gives him this opportunity for repentance. We'll see next week that 12 months pass before anything happens. He gives him an opportunity to change. And Daniel tells him that his problem is his sin, his iniquity. He offers counsel for Nebuchadnezzar's good. He offers hope even to Nebuchadnezzar. You've got to think of Israel too in this, that they're the original audience for this chapter. We get focused in on it's Nebuchadnezzar and it's Daniel happening, but the first ones reading this and hearing this are actually Israel. And where are they? They're in exile. 
because of their sin, because of their iniquity. Right? This message of hope is for them too. Turn from your sin and iniquity. Turn to the Lord in righteousness and mercy. And it's a message for us. We have it promised even better in the New Testament, in the fulfillment that we see in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And that we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And despite our earthly positions, our spiritual state is all the same apart from Jesus. It's not a tree ready to be chopped down. It's already dead because of our sin. But Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life like we failed to do. And he died a cursed death on a tree and rose again so that any who turn to him can have life. That we can know that, that we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the king who reigns from heaven, who will inherit the kingdom. Consider this hope that's available if only we'll turn to him, if only we'll humble ourselves under his reign, if only we will repent and believe. Daniel looks a little different than the people in the debates, doesn't he? Instead of talking over and condemning others, in love, he hesitates to deliver hard news. Instead of telling people what they want to hear, he's honest. Instead of offering up himself as their best hope, the hope he offers is in the mercy and righteousness of the one true God who reigns from heaven. Will you humble yourself under his reign and follow him? You have the opportunity to do that afresh right now, this morning, as we turn to the Lord's Supper. We can't come to this table and say, I've got this. I'm good. By coming to it, we're saying, that should be me. That's what I deserve. That's the reality. But instead, we see the sinless Son of God who came down from heaven to be hung on a tree. The righteous for the unrighteous, that we might know his mercy. That's what we celebrate the death of the king in our place. That he feeds us by his body and his blood so that we can know with confidence that our sins are forgiven. That what he has done is sufficient. Because he is not a king who only died, but he rose again and ascended back into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning even now by his Spirit 
He rules the kingdoms of men. Nothing here is beyond his control. And he will come again in power and glory to reign over us on earth forever. 